All right, I'm here with Lindsay Elmore. She is a speaker, author, world-renowned wellness expert. She's helping. She's on a mission, guys, to help brands and women achieve authentic wellness. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joel. So excited to be here with you. Yeah, super excited. Been following you, just like we were talking about offline. I've been following you for, man, over two years and just really fell in love with some of your, your background, I think, from the Western side of medicine and, and just really promoting holistic health. And you were really just someone that I gravitated to somehow during the pandemic and your natural health protocols. And it just, uh, there's that vibration I always talk about. So uh, really great to connect with you here. Thank um, you. I, I wanted to start things off. You know, you are a pharmacist by trade, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you kind of talk about what it was like or what did, what did you learn in that industry? And then where are you kind of gravitate, gravitated to now? Um, was there, and then in your journey, was there a day that you realized like, I'm done with this. I'm done with being a pharmacist or I'm done with, I, I, this is not aligning with who I say I am and what I believe in. Yeah, there was a very distinct moment in time. There were several incidents leading up to that kind of final straw but the final straw was clear as day um, to me. So taking it back, I grew up, I was raised by a nurse and a single mom. And so I ended up going to the doctor's office a lot. And because I am who I am, I cannot sit still. And so, I mean, I was filing charts at probably age 11. I was answering phones at 15. I did my first research projects at 17 and 18. I just had a proclivity for science. Um, I was in the OR taking photographs. Like I just leaned in to the fact that I basically had to be at the hospital all the time with my mom. And so I loved science, was able to do it, but I really wanted to be an actress and a singer mm. and a dancer. And my mom was like, no, you got to get a real job. And so I go, I get my degree in chemistry. And then at the end of my undergrad, I'd always known that I'd wanted to go to medical school because there was only one other doctorate level trained person in my entire extended family. And so I always knew that I wanted to do something at the doctorate level. And I started studying for the MCAT and I was like, Ooh, I do not want to go to medical school. Like, I do not want to do this much detail about minutia. You know, I just don't. And so, so it wasn't, by the way, it was, so it wasn't, the MCAT didn't scare you in terms of like, man, I don't align with this maybe thought process of medicine. It was just like, this is just boring. This isn't, this it, is just, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't, no, I, I, I was a kid. I didn't know enough. I didn't know sure. the industry of yes. medicine like I do now. So yeah, it wasn't an ethical dilemma that I was facing. It was just to like, I don't, it was, it was genuinely, I don't want to study this yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just yeah. genuinely did not want to. And so then I was like, okay, I'll get a PhD in chemistry and the people that I worked around in the lab, like, because I've been working in um, a, a protein crystallography lab for a couple years, all of them were like, do not. They're like, it is not your personality. You are not going to like being by yourself, cooped up. Like, it's not who you are, Lens. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you guys, I have no life plan. And one day, one of the women that I worked with walked into the lab and said, I know exactly what you should do. You should be a pharmacist. And I was like, mm. okay. 
And so I go, I sat for the PCATs. I like just, I mean, like I practically aced. I was in like the 99th percentile of the PCAT. So I was like, okay, this is going to come more easily to me versus, you know, I started as a biology major and I hated biology. And there was so much more biology in medical school versus chemistry in pharmacy school. So I go to pharmacy school, love pharmacy school. I love learning all of the things. The, the knowledge came easy to me. The practice came easy to me. I liked the responsibility. I liked all of it. I then went on to do my, well, during pharmacy school, a very important thing happened. I tore my ACL my first year in pharmacy school. And that landed me in the chiropractor's office, which landed me in the acupuncturist's office, mm. which introduced me to Chinese medicine for the first time. And wow. I really liked it. And I was intrigued by the fact that there was a completely different concept of what health actually is. And so I then started attending the integrative medicine conferences. I would take the herbal medicine elective, you know, I would, it was just dabbling a little yeah. bit. And then in my first year postdoc, I started watching loads and loads of documentaries about the food system, started to get very angry about the, you know, genetic modifications of food and started to see like, hmm, there's some cracks in industrial everything. Yeah. And so I did my second year residency, which I absolutely loved. It was in ambulatory care. And so I would see patients who were walkie talkie patients um, with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, metabolic disease, obesity, asthma, COPD. I ran a pain clinic. Um, and so chronic disease, like the diseases of modern eating. And so I had already <laughs> yeah. seen like, holy crap, our food is, is designed to make us sick. And then I was like, okay, now we have all of these medications, all of these solutions, all of these solutions, and really believed it for a long time. And it wasn't until I, I had a major ethical dilemma. I was, I was working at a, at a, at a university as an academic pharmacist and I was in charge of the over the counter medicine course. And it was a Christian university and they didn't want me to teach all of these reproductive health products that are on the shelf in the pharmacy. And I was like, what do you mean you don't want me to teach like emergency contraception and like condoms? And like, those, these are practical things that pharmacists need to be able to educate about. So I started to see the kind of how political influence could come yeah. into the practice of pharmacy. I also started to really question some of the ties between pharmacy education and big pharma, but I still wasn't there yet. Yeah. I still like hadn't like, whoo, uh, my eyes hadn't been just like blared open yet. Yes. Um, I love this too, because I think for everybody, and we talk about this a lot and we see it even, you know, we, we talk, even look at the pandemic, right? And people will say, how can you not see it so clearly what they're doing? And it's like, it, it takes a while. It takes a while. So I love that you're outlining just this process for you, even though you're kind of picking up some things, you're very smart. You're seeing things from the other side, but it's just like, 
it's taking you a while still, so I love this. All right, keep going. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you start to see how pharmacy is like a part of a bureaucracy, and that the bureaucracy is designed to have food to make us sick, designed to have solutions that don't really work, designed to have a ton of money flowing through it, which brings in like getting political influence. And so I started to see all of these kind of pieces coming together. And my final straw was one day I was working as a transitions of care pharmacist who my job was to help ensure that patients who had had certain events, so like a, like a heart attack or uh, an acute decompensated, um, a, an acute episode of COPD, were trying to keep them from coming back to the hospital within 60 to 90 days. Um, because if they come back to the hospital in those days, Medicare and Medicaid say, well, that sounds like the hospital's fault, so we're not paying for it. So it's this battle, again, between mm-hmm. hospital administration, bureaucracy, um, and, you know, and, and payers. And so I was working as a transitions and care pharmacist. I walk into this patient's room and I'm jaded at this point. And I had really realized like, this is a revolving door of the same person coming just to pick up the same meds over and over and over again. And then more meds and then more meds and then more meds. And it's like, what, is anybody gonna take the hash browns out of his hand? Like, come on. Um, and I walk into this patient's room and I've got a bag of six medications, which is fairly common after a, after a heart attack, right? Because you'll have your ACE inhibitor, your beta blocker, your aspirin, your statin, um, and you'll have a, one or two other meds. And so this guy also had a proton pump inhibitor and you know you could go home with a nitrate, whatever. I go in six meds and I'm like, how many medications were you on before you came into the hospital? And he said, none. And it just kind of crushed me a little bit. And then I looked down at his tray and he's got a soda, a roll, you know, some crappy, some crappy meat of some, you know, I can't remember if it was chicken, but it's going to be a corn fed chicken or is it going to be this nasty burger? Like whatever it is. And I was like, I can't. I cannot, I cannot do this anymore. And so I, you know, I, I was, I was grateful that I was able to find like a really amazing pivot um, where I was able to really go deep teaching about natural wellness and supplements and just learned so much. Um, I, I started learning about essential oils and then I really trans, trans, then I started to learn more about the emerging science of the microbiome and really have taken my skill sets as really understanding diabetes, cardiovascular disease, training in functional medicine. I did my training with the Institute for Functional Medicine and then applying it in ways that empower people because I'm not I'm not anti-medication. I am anti-Big Pharma. Big Pharma, I could rail on. And you can yeah. go and listen to my episodes of my show with John Abramson and, and Gerald Posner. Um, you know, really impressive investigative journalist, New York Times bestselling author. John Abramson uh, testified against Pfizer 
in um, the Geodon um, and Zyvox case uh, where they where they basically got slapped with the biggest criminal fines in history for false advertising and mis you know mismarketing and so <laughs> yeah. you know and so I just had Leslie Manuki and I don't know if you know her she was on the podcast she's amazing I'll introduce you guys um, but she was formerly a Wall Street banker and just like mm. you she a lot of these pharma agents were coming in and what struck her it was the day that one of these uh, one of these representatives for one of the firms that she represented said all right guys they were having people die from this new medication, whatever it was. Mm. And he comes in the boardroom. He goes, listen, I know it looks bad, but don't worry. We're still expected to do $7 billion in revenue because those were just a couple people that died. And she just was like looking at him like, this guy is a criminal. Like, how can yeah. this happen? And then same thing. She went down the rabbit hole. And um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, amazing. you go and read books like Pharma, like like sickening um and, and even, I love also David Michael's book. It's not specifically about pharma, but it's it's called The Triumph of Doubt. And it talks about how the media's job when it comes to death for medication, the safety of eating sugar, does NFL football cause concussions? The whole narrative, the tobacco industry engineered it. And then big pharma, big sugar, big agriculture all adapted it and the the big thing is to introduce doubt like is cigarette smoking truly bad for you like is it um and that is that is what we do and and you also just really researching the history of the pharmaceutical industry um specifically is whew, horrifying don't, don't, okay <laughs> horrifying yeah um, and, and it's because, you know, there's one of my professors in pharmacy school, she was a physician and um, just an extraordinary woman. Her name is Dr. Rachel Remen. And she talks about, she wrote a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessings. And it's all about, like, where did we lose humanity in modern medical care and it's exactly what you're saying when medicine gets so big that you look at patient deaths 100 over a hundred thousand people who tried this drug died you're like that ain't bad that's all right <laughs> but then you take a step back and you're like no Wait, and big pharma absolutely does not care. I mean, you take, for example, um, there was an expose that came out about a month ago in the New Yorker. Johnson and Johnson has known for years, probably decades, that that baby powder is carcinogenic because it's contaminated with arsenic, and it just cannot be uncontaminated because. That is the way the earth works. You know, when you are busting up organic material, you're going to have contaminants, right? And so um, Johnson & Johnson had a class action suit from 11,000 women against them. And they adapted a strategy that was used by the Koch brothers. And so Koch Industries, huge oil and gas, like, you know, now we got a whole nother industry that we're, we're talking in. Rockefeller money, baby. We're yeah. talking Rockefeller money now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or Sackler family money. Like, you know, like it's big. Um, and so 
they they adapted a strategy, a legal strategy originally used by the Koch brothers, where they created a subsidiary company and then immediately bankrupted it, which guess what? Then halts all the litigation in progress against Johnson and Johnson. Well, this class action suit with these 11,000 women, since they did that and halted this class action suit a year and a half ago, a woman has died. At least one woman has died every single day without having a day in court to say like, your pro you didn't tell me your product was dangerous, which I think is all anybody would want to know. Like, yeah. don't, don't market something to me that is, that I'm gonna put on my infant, that I'm gonna put on my infant and not tell me that, you know what, that might be contaminated with arsenic. And that really gets to the heart of what I think is one of the core problems with not just medicine, but America and the modern day and age. You know, you have enough money and you have enough consolidated money that's come through generations. You create and evade the law. You can create the law by influencing government and you can evade the law by hiring big attorneys that don't care if 500 yeah. women have died because of their legal strategy. It's gross. Yeah. So, 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 so good. I'm glad you said all that. Um, reminds me too. just, I had Stephanie Seneff on the podcast not too long ago. We were talking about glyphosate, same kind of thing. And we, we've seen, right? Like they, they, they knew this, that, that this was a really harmful chemical. And uh, now they've even said it's carcinogenic. And recently some lawsuits coming out saying uh, the judge slapped the um, EPA and said, you need to go back and read you need to redo the guidelines where you said it's really uh it's safe because this is B what i'm seeing right here is bs so yeah well okay the epa <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry Lindsay. It's, it's an entire it's an entire other rabbit hole because it's another acronym you, another yeah, uh, I mean, it's another got, uh three letter alphabet uh, it's another alphabet suit. exactly i mean you think about the revolving door between big pharmaceutical executives and the EPA. You think about, and you know that Monsanto, do you know who owns Monsanto? Now it's Bayer, right? Bayer, the same yeah. people that make your yeah. favorite brand of aspirin, <laughs> also own this mega chemical company that, you know, could potentially collapse the entire food system because of mono agrolization. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at the EPA compared to you know, environmental regulatory bodies internationally, and you look at the FDA compared to other supplement and medication regulatory bodies internationally, we just don't ask, is it safe? Yeah. We don't ask, is it safe? We did not ask DuPont, are your polyfluorinated alkyl substances safe? And how do they degrade in the environment? And now we have forever chemicals in every piece of fabric ever you know forever forever, forever. in perpetuity we will have these polyfluorinated substances in our environment because we don't ask it's the same thing the fda allowed purdue pharma um to put on the original labels of oxycontin that it was non-addictive because they didn't ask they didn't <laughs> demand the data they took a a 
three-sentence letter that somehow got published in the New England Journal of Medicine, where this physician wrote in and said, in all of my clinical experience of using OxyContin, I have found it to be non-addictive. Yeah, you gave just a handful of patients three days worth of OxyContin as an inpatient and did not discharge them on yep. any of it, right? And so how can you say that you have any concept of this, of whether it is addicting or non-addicting? Because we don't talk about just how addicting not just narcotics are, but we don't talk about how addicting medications are in general. Have you ever heard somebody say like, you know, I've been on this antidepressant for 15 years and I just can't seem to come off of it. All the time. And there's some great studies showing that they don't do anything. So, <laughs> in terms of uh, upregulating dopamine and serotonin. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. well <laughs> that, again, <laughs> I, I'm not anti-drug. But if you're going to use drugs, in my opinion, as a pharmacist, you must give them a fighting chance to work by ensuring that you have the precursors that you need to execute mm -hmm. the action of the drug, right? So you look at somebody with longstanding depression, especially if there's an addiction component, they don't have any serotonin to begin with. So it right. doesn't matter if you have a drug that prolongs the action of serotonin if you don't have any serotonin in the neuronal synapse. So we have to take a step back and go, okay, well, if we're going to use an antidepressant medication, let's at least ensure that we have plenty of tryptophan and plenty of broad spectrum amino acids so that we can actually build the serotonin that we want to be holding in this synapse, okay? Love that. So the other thing you have to do is you must mitigate the risk of side effects. And I think most people think about side effects as you know, oh, I have, I have this unintended consequence. But friend, that unintended consequence has a sequence of events that lead to it happening, right? And so, for example, statin medication, some of the most widely prescribed medications in the entire world, Pfizer, outright manipulated the advertising to the nth degree to get uh, Lipitor, atorvastatin, to market, made a bajillion and a half dollars um, because they did a very common statistical manipulation called absolute risk reduction versus relative risk reduction, slapped it all over their ads, all the things, okay? So the thing about statins, the way that they work is they inhibit an enzyme called HMG-CoA reductase, which is the rate-limiting step. So it's the, there's a whole sequence of events that leads to the production of cholesterol. The rate-limiting step is the one that happens the slowest, right? So it's if you if you can stop that if you can stop that step, you basically grind everything to a halt because it's what determines the speed of the whole system. Yeah. So, it inhibits this enzyme, HMG-CoA reductase. Did nobody think about the fact that HMG-CoA reductase is also responsible for the production of CoQ10? And CoQ10 in your body is what cleans up all of the free radical junk that is generated naturally when your mitochondria function to generate ATP. You want to talk about the origins of basically all diseases, metabolic dysfunction of the mitochondria is like right up there. And so if you're taking a statin medication, 
you need to take CoQ10 because guess what CoQ10 deficiency causes? Muscle pain, which is the most common side effect of statin medications. People get put, then you're getting a cyclobenzaprine or you're getting a, you're getting one uh, or a carisoprodol on board to help with the muscle relaxation. In, and you're putting yourself at risk for full-blown rhabdomyolysis, which is not only going to take out your muscles, but also going to take out your kidneys, right? Yeah. We're, we're not taking a step back and saying, okay, there are functional consequences of the manipulation of one receptor at a time. It's not the way the body's designed to work, right? You look at where did we get statin medications, right? Well, statin medications, the first one to market was called Lovastatin, is called Lovastatin, still available. Um, and it's the direct extract of red yeast rice. And so you've got, but here's the difference. Lovastatin, the extract, goes and punches HMG-CoA reductase right in the face, right? Red yeast rice is also going to have other terpenes, other flavonoids, other chemical constituents that go through the body and have effects on not just one receptor, but multiple receptors. And I don't know this, I may be making this up off the top of my head, but some of those might be useful in mitigation of this reduction in HMG-CoA reductase, which also reduces CoQ10. I mean, this is such a well-known side effect that pharmacists in Japan are required by law to dispense CoQ10 alongside statin medications. And wow. I am a metabolic disease pharmacist and did not know this until I had been in practice for, I mean, I don't even know when I learned this, but I've been in practice at least five years, possibly 10 by the time I learned this. I didn't know that medications cause mineral depletions. Mm. You know, I didn't know that medications can suppress um, melatonin production, you know, you go on a beta blocking medicine, all of a sudden you're not sleeping. Guess what? It's because you're taking a medication that depletes your melatonin. I mean, we talked a little bit about like proton pump inhibitors causing problems with mineral balance. And we talked about, of course, hypokalemia with like your diuretic meds. But understanding now that medications deplete magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, CoQ10. They disrupt the microbiome, not just antibiotics, but tons of things interact with the microbiome. It goes on and on and on. And we just skim, we just skim the surface of it all. And you know, we're just talking about medications. We're not even talking about the additional legal ramifications that are, or the, the additional protections that are offered to vaccine manufacturers because of- You said it, oh boy. Well, I mean, yeah, we-, we You said we, the V word, oh boy. I know, yeah. I know. Uh, and listen, I yeah. am a pharmacist. I, I want to approach all medications, including vaccinations, logically. Like- Teach me how you. it works. How do I dose it? How do I know that it's safe and effective? How do I know yep. that the administration route is correct? But then you got to take a step back and go, why did we indemnify vaccine manufacturers? Like, wh why did why did they need this additional legal protection? And 
you know, basically it was because the government came to vaccine manufacturers and said, we want to ramp up this childhood vaccine schedule. Um, and the manufacturers said, we don't think that's a great plan. And somehow the, the feds got it in their head, you know, it'd be great. Let's just absolve them in perpetuity from any harm, you know, and it's the National Vaccine Childhood Safety Act of 1986. And so um, that didn't make sense. You know, why are we subsidizing production of of certain what can be life saving interventions? We're subsidizing it with our tax dollars, but then we're we're not holding accountable for either profit or harm. Right. And. It, it goes back generations. It's not like this is new. It's not like in 1986 it was new. Um, it goes all the way back to the production of penicillin during yeah. World War One and World War Two, where we realized that penicillin saves lives, saves lives. And so the government was like, we can't allow all these GIs to die, right? And so we rapidly used our tax dollars to ramp up manufacture of penicillin. And at the end of it, instead of the US government being like, okay guys, that was a fun run. We'll take our buildings and all of our investment. We'll take all those people. Yep, nope, they're definitely ours. Taxpayer dollars, all right? Taxpayer dollars. They gave it away. They gave it to the pharmaceutical industry. They gave it away. All of this. And so this 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 non-accountability of just like you can say what you want. You don't have to care if your product works. You want to hear something horrifying. Listen to my interview with with Dr. John Abramson who's the Harvard MD who um, testified on behalf of the FBI against Pfizer, he, he really summarized it well. We think about clinical research and the randomized control trial as being this like mecca, right? That's all we base our, our interpretations of things on is, is, is that, randomized control trials. Nobody goes to the pharmaceutical companies and actually fact checks their computers. All they have to do is just write the paper, send it in. And it's like, it's like, wait, when he told, when he told me that I was like, how have I never thought of that? How have I never thought of that? That of, of course it would be in pharmacy's big interest or pharmacy pharmacist interest to um to to prove that suppress, their product works yeah well suppress the data eliminate the data change the change the statistical methods that you use to interpret the data um change your methodology like yes absolutely and you know not to get I am I am truly not um I am truly not a conspiracy theorist but if you think about it and you look at the CDC whistleblower who said you know that the MMR vaccine causes autism that's yep. not what he said right what he said was me and my colleagues got in a room and intentionally shredded portions mm. of data which showed that the specific timing of the combination MMR vaccine to boys ages 18 months and younger 
versus after age three, especially black boys, may in this like tiny little amount contribute to the development of autism. That's all he said. So all he is saying is like, hey guys, I'm not saying don't take it. I'm saying wait until after age three. That's what he's saying. He's like, let's just wait until after age three. And so I just... I just question all the things now because when you can't have a logical conversation about things that should be very logical about, you know, how do we want to best care for our children's health and safety, equally balancing the desire for them to avoid disease as well as understanding we want them to also have a robust immune system, which comes from the exposure to the world you know like we just got to talk logically about these things i love it i love everything you're saying uh you and i could chat about this all day i mean you know just from a it was just funny i was watching an episode of the high wire the other day and uh you know aaron siri was in court and he had one of the pfizer's top doctors on the stand and he just asked her i'm i'm just confused you're one of their top doctors and researchers but you also sit on their board for like uh, as an investor. It's like, and she's like, I know what you're saying, and you think that I can't also be like unbiased. And he's like, That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, how exactly, can you be? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, that's why we have. That's why we have dis- disclosures. Like, yes. you have to disclose that. No, I mean. That is the most asinine <sighs> thing I've ever heard. Because you can imagine around the boardroom table, like. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. She's actually not an investor. She's getting paid by them. So she's she's being rewarded with money as a doctor to do unbiased research, but she works for them. It's not like she's an independent, but they call her an independent doctor, but she's oh. not because she's being directly paid to them. So that that that's just an, an amazing yeah. Well, thing. I mean, that's we can- that's the whole thing um, is the people that are publishing research on medications are the people that need the medications to come to market, right? And so I was talking with my um, my student pharmacist who was on rotation with me a few a few months ago, and we were doing a, 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 a journal analysis, you know, where he has to come and demonstrate where he knows how to interpret a journal article. And he's going through it, and I've kind of got him on the spot because he's he's at the very end of his He should be able to do this in his sleep at this point. Yeah. And so I've got him on the spot and I'm like, here's the abstract. Tell me what your interpretation is. And he's reading it and he's like, he's like, this can't be correct. And I was like, read it again. And he's like, this cannot be correct. Because in this trial, I don't even remember what the drug was. It's some asthma drug that just came to market, I think. Uh, And so what they did was they compared this asthma drug to placebo. And what you want to be able to show in clinical research is called superiority. You want to show that your intervention was better than the either no intervention, aka placebo, um, which is also arguable because the placebo effect is a very, very, very real effect. And I don't think that makes people crazy or wacky or loony, but to think that you are healthy makes you healthy. Right to think that you are physically fit, mentally fit, able, capable makes you those things. Right. Um, the language that we speak over ourselves is powerful. So if you believe that you are taking something that will help you, it will. Right. The belief is it predates all of it. 
Yep. And so in this study, what they want to be able to show is superiority, either superiority to placebo or to current treatment, which a lot of people don't do because with all the Me Too drugs that are out there, it's really hard to show superiority over a current treatment. What you don't want to have to do is called non-inferiority, where I'm going to say, all right, here's the current treatment. Mine is, is just as good. It's non-inferior. It's the same. Yep. Okay. So they, it obviously, in this clinical trial, could not do either one of those things. So they go to the like most ridiculous statistical manipulation I've ever seen. What they showed was that the drug was non-inferior to placebo, which is ridiculous. You have to have a treatment to say, I'm as good as it. So you're telling me that people thinking that they are taking something active as a sugar pill is is same as your drug. And this drug cost $15,000. $15,000. And so they showed that the drug did nothing. And finally, my student was like, this is criminal. And I was like, now you're starting to get it. You have now, arrived. You I've, have arrived. You're ready, you're ready uh, Luke. I've raised you well, yes, everyone. Yes, right? good yeah. job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go forth. Uh. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how much more aware students are these days. Cause I get a lot of messages from students saying like, Oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have dove. We, we promised we weren't going to be too negative today. We were going to talk about the positive things that are going on in the world. So let's switch this around. I love just hearing your story. And, and I think that's really powerful, really just to, for people to understand the, what, Again, it's just opening their minds to something different and, and hearing your story is going to be really impactful because I think people can say like, yeah, I was where you were at. And then also just having that pharmacist mind to like say like, look, this just isn't logical, which I love. So, but <laughs> just, let's, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> let's flip it around though. I'm just curious, what can, what, when you're just thinking about this and now, now knowing what you know, how do you try to make it simple or just so that people can start implementing some simple changes in their life or just what are some big ideas that we should start looking at so that we can make these changes? Absolutely. Okay. So I love, one of my favorite things I learned in my functional medicine training was the eight root causes of disease. There, mm. there are only eight root causes of disease and all of them precipitate stress and inflammation. Stress and inflammation precipitates insulin resistance. And then our hormones, like it, it just, there's only eight root causes of disease. So I don't care which of these that you pick to work on, just work on them, right? Yep. Work on them. And so the eight root causes of disease, you can remember the acronym STAINS with three S's at the end. And so you have stress is the number one root cause of all disease right? Then you have toxins. So these are things like, you know, these are things like um, mold spores. Um, this is heavy metals. This is glyphosate. It's also toxicants. So drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah. Um, and then we have our allergens and our antigens. And so these are things that cause allergic responses. So these are like the big eight allergens like soy and gluten and shellfish, yeah. et cetera. Nuts fall into this. Um, and this is also where we see, um, where we see, you know, just airborne allergens, pollen, dander, all the things. 
Then you have infections and infestations. And so this is bacterial, viral, parasitic um, infestations and infections, um, yeast and uh, yeast uh, infections as well, protozoal infections, all the infections. Okay. Yep. So then we have nutrient excesses and deficits. So this is caloric excesses as well as vitamin excesses because the supplement market has gone psychotic with the doses of some of uh, vitamin supplements out there. Um, caffeine excess would fall into this as well as nutrient deficits such as micromineral imbalances, vitamin um, imbalances, um, not having enough not having enough good bacteria and prebiotics in the diet that can help to build a functional microbiome. So nutrient excesses and, and deficits. Then we have um, sleep problems, which is a huge cause because lack of sleep increases cortisol. When you increase cortisol, everything falls apart. Yep. And then you have sedentarism, so not working mm -hmm. out. And then the last one is sociogenomic. So this includes genetics, um, which accounts for less than 5% of all disease. The rest of disease is lifestyle choices. Um, and so you have your, your, your sociogenomics would also include, like, for example, I read an article today. There are 23 counties in Alabama that do not have a single pediatrician. Zero pediatricians in 23 counties in Alabama. Hmm. So you want to talk about a sociogenomic problem. Um, and with socio, I also include economic in there. So, you know, you yeah. think about that child, of course, they're not going to have, a, they're, they're going to have more, more long-term, more long-term disease. So I don't care what you want to work on. Do you want to incorporate some meditation into your routine? Great. Do you want to test your house to see if you have mold? Awesome. Do you want to take gluten out of your diet and see if you feel better? Amazing. Do you want to try intermittent fasting and see how you feel? Great. Do you want to have an aura ring to track your sleep? Awesome. Like, I don't care which of these you start with. But just start somewhere and do it over and over and over again and be curious. Yeah. Don't allow the dogma of what so-and-so says that you need to be doing because they're a social media influencer dissuade you from just going like, you know what? When I eat keto, I actually feel like crap. When I eat carnivore, right. I feel like I, I feel great. Whatever it is, I don't care. But you have to be curious because... We are all unique biological engines. And so I am very, I'm suspect of people who say that there's one way to get healthy. What are you because, talking about? Liver King? We we know that that was. What happened he's with the Liver King? He's you're carnivore like the, and carnivore diet's the best. Okay, so you're stop like it. The third person today to bring up the liver king and i had never heard of this until today yeah uh, liver king is just a guy who's been promoting primal carnivore lifestyle and has a supplement company or that he's i don't know he's a part of and uh he just everyone just found out he's on steroids so that he spent 12, <laughs> 12 grand a month on steroids actually to maintain his 12 amazing, grand a month his amazing primal physique that's right so Anyways. Ew, I just Googled this guy. <laughs> okay. I, have you seen that TikTok I, trend where people take an egg crate and they put it on yeah. their abs and it creates a cartoon out of their cartoon abs? 
That might be Liver King. That might be him. <laughs> might be him. I love what you're saying, though. Eight these eight buckets. If and I think that's a great rubric. People can look at that put the pie chart or put it out and just say, hey, where am I needing more or less? What is going on? Where am I missing? Where's the deficit? Start putting some energy towards that and you're going to start seeing your vital force, I think, go up. So I I love that. That's a great rubric for just natural health. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Wellness Made Simple, which is your subscription um, on your platform, your membership platform, and people can tune in and learn about this and how to, uh, we were just talking offline about having like a health coach in every home because I believe that if you have this knowledge, like what we're just talking about, you can dial in these eight realms. If you can get this in order, man, you have so much autonomy in life because you can empower yourself, your family, your community, your tribe, and that goes out to everybody. So I really love that. Really quick though, before we go into that, what is there when you're looking at because you're just so keen on this is there a when you're looking at supplements or brands or pharmaceuticals is there anything that like stands out that for you is like you're looking for this like this is a red herring if i see this and i don't know i'm just what i'm thinking of is like i don't know magnesium stearate or something is there something where you're like that's a crap product or carrageenan or is there anything that you just like man or or people are missing or something that they should be thinking about when they're looking at supplements and what they're putting in their body Um, I think that there is pretty good evidence of just how bad, like the toxic seed oils are for us. And so, um, you know, a a ton of people drink oat milk, not realizing that they're basically just drinking canola oil. I think that that is a, is (laughs) a big one. Um, okay. So here's my thing about supplements. I am also a pragmatist because I also understand how drugs and supplements are manufactured, right? So I understand drug delivery systems. And so at some there are some times that you're picking the lesser of two evils, right? Yeah. So if you have a very a very oily, especially if they're um, corrosive oil kind of supplements, um you're gonna have to use something to strengthen the outer shell of that gel cap or it's going to disintegrate inside of the bottle. And so then it's like, okay, well, do you want a pork product or do you want some carrageenan, which, you know, is is a dairy-derived product? Like, which do you want, right? Right. Um, I do think that you can look for higher quality fish in things like omega-3 supplements. So looking for things that are more like um, wild-caught anchovies or even krill oil. But most supplements out there are like made out of tilapia and basa and just like really nasty fish. Um, I do consider... um, I do have very strong opinions about vitamin vitamin D... Uh, two versus D three. Um, yeah. Always go cola calciferol, not ergo calciferol. Um, folate on labels has gotten very confusing for people because some people want methylated folate, some people just want folate. And the way that the FDA was like, guys, we've got to get you know our our ish together so that we can have some consistency in labeling. And so now all folate. What, be it methylfolate, folic acid, or folate is all is all displayed on labels as um, DTEs, and those are the those are the folic acid equivalents, and so um, that can be very confusing for people. I, I don't yeah. think everybody needs methylated folate. I think that 
I think that the tetra, the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase data has been so skewed because people come to me all the time and they say, hey, I have, um, they don't say polymorphism, but what they're saying is I, I have, have a the polymorph- MTHFR gene. I, I yeah. have the MTHFR <laughs> yeah. gene. So do all of us. <laughs> and they're like, well, my enzyme doesn't do what it's supposed to. But here's the thing. MTHFR is the most genetically diverse um, gene that we have, right? And so you can have everything along the page as far as polymorphisms that lead to anywhere between 100 and 0% um, function. So you can have a total loss of function, a knockout, a knockout gene, or you can have like 98% function, 97% function. And so we have to really look at not just oh, I have this mutation. You have to look at, well, what does that mutation mean? Because we're getting to the point now where we actually can map these out pretty well. So folate, methylated folate, great. I'm not impressed with the magnesium stearate data. I'm also not impressed with um, a ton of the retinyl palmitate data saying that it's super dangerous. I know it gets a lot of bad press. Um, Low quality artificial sweeteners, I think, we can generally agree, like, don't be drinking aspartame anymore, yeah. people. Like, please yeah. stop drinking the aspartame. And um, and so those, I think, we do have some safer options. You can put it up to debate. Um, if, if Is it stevia? Is it monk fruit? Is it yeah. erythritol? Is it xylitol? Um, all of those things. But I do think that you know, we do know that the sucraloses of the world and the aspartames of the world are probably worse for us than some of the more naturally derived. Uh, And again, people come to me all the time since I know a lot about, about the microbiome and they're like, I've heard stevia disrupts the microbiome. And it's like, yeah, but so does sugar. (laughs) And so do you really want to be eating unsweetened pea protein in your shake you're not going to do it right and so again it's it's coming down to the practicalities of simply what it takes to manufacture products i've heard people go off about like there's silicon and silica dioxide and all of the and it's like yeah guys you got to be able to make it flow through the tubing and this is inert it passes through you right yeah and a few years ago walmart got thrown under their bus because they were just like there's sand in their supplements and i was like there's sand in every supplement (laughs) every medication you know i do think it is important i do think that pharmaceutical drugs uh, should be mandated by law to display their excipients on their label because there is so much lactose inside of pharmaceutical drugs. And so people, guess what? My GI problems are not getting better because I'm unknowingly taking a dose of lactose two, three times a day. And so yeah. having those excipients in there is really, really important. But, yeah, you know... I mean, I think we do worse picking out food than we do picking out supplements and drugs. Like we, you guys, deli meat, right? So cured meats, deli meats, salted fish, um, all of these things are World Health Organization class one carcinogens. And we send our kids to school with Lunchables all the time. And like nobody thinks about it being abnormal, but you know, these beautiful charcuterie plates that everybody makes, it's like, 
Mm-hmm. That's colon cancer. <laughs> Not saying you can't do it every so often, but I do think that we make worse decisions when it comes to food because let's be let's be frank, unhealthy food is delicious food, but the less that you eat of it, the more delicious the healthy stuff becomes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Stop focusing on the the minors. Let's focus on the majors. So good. Mm-hmm. All right, talk to us about Wellness Made Simple and just how people can get this kind of knowledge that we're getting on this podcast, but like on a regular basis and uh, really start to bring back their health and vitality. Absolutely. So Wellness Made Simple, it's wellnessmadesimple.us. Um, it's, it's a place where you can come to learn practical skills that you need to build a healthy lifestyle. And you don't I, have to be a pharmacist. No, no, no. Um, And it's for anybody, you know, I believe that everybody deserves to be healthy. And a lot of people hit into a brick wall because they get sick of the fads. They get, they don't know what to rely on. They get confused by the internet. Um, And a ton of people just say, I don't have time and I don't even know what's out there to look for. Yeah. And so come to wellnessmadesimple.us, get access to the website watch the coursework and you'll learn the major functions and dysfunctions of the body helping you to understand how you can heal yourself and then it's up to you friend are you going to implement daily changes that positively transform your health because you know health is not one thing it's all the things every day you know it's so true. It's the it's the consistency, right? It's um, and we're so used to like, well, I did that one thing that once, and it's like whether it's your mindset and whether you're launching a business, it's all these things. It's the daily practices over and over again. It's that consistency that really brings on the transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome stuff. And then I want to jump in. I know we're running on the top of the hour. I want to jump into some lightning round questions with you. But before I do, could you just kind of, I mean, you know, you're such a, a stickler, I would say for brands and, and because of what your background, right. And so you're very particular, but I know you've partnered with Amare and maybe you could just kind of talk about that relationship and some of the exciting things that you're doing with them and, and maybe why you even chose to partner with them. Yeah. I mean, I, I chose to partner with Amare first and foremost, because they are the mental wellness company. And I really didn't see any other company in that space. Whereas, you know, you look at you look at a lot of a lot of companies and there's a ton of overlap. Somebody's got some non-toxic cleanser, somebody's got some, somebody's got some collagen, you know, somebody there's tons of people doing the same thing, right? But to have products designed by a PhD nutritional biochemist specifically to foster the gut-brain axis to help with mental wellness. And you think about that, we are so stressed out as a society. We are sad, we're isolated, we are we are you know running around not being able to just come back to earth and be grounded. And so we can't focus all of these things. And so I loved the products. I had a wonderful personal response to the products, which I require from any brand I, I recommend. Um, and so I just jumped in and have partnered, not just with Amare, but I, I mean, I love my stuff from Primal Life Organics. The, all of their dental stuff's amazing. Their skincare yeah. is amazing. Um, I love Soma Vedic. I've got these like Soma Vedic devices. You can't 
quite can't quite see it down there. Um, but these are things that are going to mitigate EMF around my house and all of the things. And so the Amare products are, are truly extraordinary. And, you know, you can save 10 bucks if you go to lindsayelmore.com slash Amare and just grab, grab some happy juice, you know, get some happy juice is a combination of three products that help with, um, lowering cortisol, improving, increasing dopamine and serotonin and increasing GABA signaling, as well as helping with, focus and mood mood motivation and metabolism and so it's a great starting point for anybody and you know if anybody wants links from me from all of my favorite companies including you know the ones i mentioned just reach out to me follow me on instagram and it is actually me chatting on instagram yeah. so if you're talking to someone you are 99% of the time going to be talking to me. If you're talking to me on Facebook, you are not talking to me. You are talking to someone else. I uh, So that's awesome. got to have some boundaries, you know? Absolutely. That's great. Uh, I got a chance to try some happy juice at the A4M conference. And uh, yeah, I will say it was it was delicious. So um, yeah, and, and I'll put all those resources for everybody in the show notes. So um, I want to jump into some lightning round questions with you and then we'll wrap things up and we'll talk about also where people can connect with you and find you. But also... Um, you know, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had or or maybe, you know, even something I've been asking some guests lately is like, is there an ask that you'd want to ask of the audience? Um, you know, is there any way that they can help help you or connect with, you know, promote you? Well, I mean, I think it's so much more simple than that. I, what I would ask for the from the audience is genuinely believe that you deserve to be healthy and mm. do the radical thing that is to actually take care of yourself like that's if you guys walk away and do that like i don't care if you follow me on instagram or buy my products just believe that and do it just do do one better thing right now than you did in the past five minutes like just just go forth and do it you know and just keep showing up for yourself yeah love that awesome stuff all right Let's jump into some lightning round and then we'll wrap things up. I'm curious, Lindsay, for you, was there was there a choice or are there some choices that you think you made in your life that made you who you are today? Oh, yeah. Okay. So when I, I, I had a very distinct choice um, when I was working as an academic pharmacist. I had gotten so torn up in just like anger and lack of an ability to let it go. I could barely have a conversation with anybody anymore. And my boss at the time was like, I'm going to send you to this corporate communications coach. I was furious. I was pissed. I did not want to do it. And somewhere in that first five minutes in that meeting, I said, I am going to do every single thing that this woman tells me to do. I'm going to read every book. I'm going to do every journal exercise. I'm going to forward her every email. Like I am going to do everything that she tells me. And I have never regretted that for a moment. It changed my life wow. in so many ways. Love that. Obviously you are such a force in the wellness world. I'm curious just who inspires you or is there anybody that you, you follow and I have met so many amazing people um, through my podcast. Um, you know, all very different personalities. Dr. Patrick Hanaway really comes to mind because he still, even though he is like a celebrity in my mind, he 
still practice medicine and he still puts his heart into it. Um, Dr. Jess Petrus is a great friend of mine and she is just as kooky as can be and makes, makes medicine so much fun. Um, I've ran into her at a few conferences. She's fun. Yeah, she is. Uh, and then I'm super inspired by my pharmacist colleagues who I think don't get enough shout outs. And so, you know, Dr. Melody Hartzler is amazing. Dr. John Kim, Lara Zacharia, um, Lauren Castle are all functional medicine pharmacists that I that I really really that I really really love. Sahar Swindon is another one. Um, I I don't know how to pronounce his last name because I I have to read it every single time. But James uh, D. Nicolin Tanot D. Nicolantino. Yeah, D. Nicolantino. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I have to yeah. read it. Yes. Um, yes. But I love my pharmacists that have like kind of shifted and been like okay something is is off here um so you know i that was a great list no that was beautiful yeah yeah um any books i'm a huge reader is there any books that just stand out for you or that you would recommend that someone read that had a huge impact on your life a huge impact on my life yeah or just one that like really stands out and you're like man that's a book that i think everyone should read if i don't know if there's like a a top one to three. Sometimes when I give people one book, it's like they can't name one, but there's maybe, maybe there's like a top, top three or maybe just one that stands out to you. I don't know. Um, I mean, if you're going to say books that I think everybody should, should read at some point in their life, I got to go to some classics, you know, I'm going to the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Uh, what got you here won't get you there by Marshall Goldsmith. I, I recently interviewed, um, Stephen M. R. Covey, so Stephen Covey's son, and his book is what is it called? I can't remember what it's called, but it it's about how the old paradigm of management is changing, and so it's you know you've got to trust and respect people along the way, and it's an extraordinary, extraordinary book. And of of course, you know, read Simon Sinek, read Sheryl yeah. Sandberg, all there's go classic with yeah. all that, yeah. Go, go read some Jim Rohn. I love yes. it. Um, last <laughs> two questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, any rituals or hacks or practices that you do on a regular basis? You know, some people have gratitude journals. Uh, what about you? I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is flex and point my feet and just have gratitude for the fact that I can flex and point my feet. And then I meditate I read some sort of devotional, whether that be whether that be a Christian devotional or um, my life has been heavily impacted by alcoholics around me. So I'll read Al-Anon literature. Mm. Um, I then get up and I have a very, very, very active Hungarian Vizsla and she and I do three to four miles every single morning right upon upon waking i also every day take a shot of apple cider vinegar um in the morning um you know and getting out in the sun first thing you know trying to get that circadian rhythm so i have that really good morning morning routine ritual that has you know some slow deep breaths some gratitude a little bit of um spirituality or uplifting and i tell you this i do not miss a day listening to podcasts. I listen to podcasts every day. I listen to the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast, the Ed Milet Show. Um, I listen to the Mind Body Green Podcast, the Doctor's Pharmacy. Um, 
I, you know, and then I also, of course, listen to true crime because I am an American. Um, but those are those are some of my biggest rituals. And then I dance well, just almost every day as well, <laughs> believe it or not. I dance almost amazing. every day. Yeah. I love that. That is so cool. Lindsay Elmore, last but not least, where can people find you and connect with you and learn more about you? Absolutely. You can follow me on social media. I am at Lindsay Elmore on Instagram and Facebook and at Dr. Lindsay Elmore on TikTok and um, Pinterest. Um, and you can also find me at lindsayelmore.com, wellnessmadesimple.us. And um, that's it. You can go to lindsayelmore.com slash text me, join my text messages, whatever you want. I'm here for you. Amazing. Lindsay, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been It's been an honor.